Our Father, we worship you in your name, the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. We worship you because of your amazing grace and love that you displayed on the cross in sending your Son to be our Savior and substitute. We worship you because the Holy Spirit has made us aware of our own failure and sin, of the judgment that that would incur, and has awakened us to see and embrace the Savior. And we rejoice today, Lord, because our hope is not in our own work, it's not in our own strength, it's clearly in the blood and righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in that name we praise, in that name we rest, in that name we hope, in that name we worship, and in that name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Back in 2007, Dr. Warren Worsby wrote a book entitled Life Sentences. He got the idea from Charles Haddon Spurgeon who made this quote at the very beginning of a sermon back in 1881. He said, scripture frequently sums up a person's life in a single sentence. That's the book title, Life Sentences. He was about ready to preach a sermon on the life of Joseph and he chose Genesis chapter 39 and verse two that simply says the Lord was with Joseph. A great verse that sums up his life. But the person I want to talk to you about today, Dr. Worsby gave a verse for this woman and I don't think it's the best one. I think a better verse for Rahab might be Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31 that says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. That verse packs a wallop. It's interesting that you have this individual mentioned as the final champion of faith in a list of other individuals. The final individual mentioned, she's actually number 11 if you're counting heads. And he's gonna mention people like David and Gideon and Samuel, but he says, I don't have time to talk about them. And he's gonna talk about some groups. But among the remarkable personalities mentioned, not one of them is more astounding than this woman called Rahab. As you open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 and we remind ourselves of the ground we've covered, we looked at Moses and the scripture tells us that Moses by faith rejected the treasures of Egypt for the shame of being numbered among God's people. And then in verse 29, it says, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea. That was under the leadership of Moses. So they were leaving Egypt and they were entering Canaan, and that's verse 30. 1130, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down, and that's the story of Rahab. I think it best for us to start out with a word about her situation. And by that I mean her profession, first of all. 
Is it not interesting that the Bible calls her a prostitute? And some translations are even a little more colorful in the word that they choose. The Bible doesn't cover up the failures of people. Now it is also interesting that this Hebrew word translated here prostitute could also be translated innkeeper. And so a lot of people have jumped on that bandwagon, like Josephus, the popular historian, and many Jewish scholars. No, no, she wasn't a prostitute trying to sanitize the situation. She was an innkeeper. I have no doubt she was an innkeeper. (laughs) But when you translate the Old Testament into Greek, the Septuagint, which the author of Hebrews is quoting, And when you look at the Greek, Greek, when this woman is mentioned not only in Hebrews 11, but also James chapter 2, the Greek word is porni, where we get the English pornea, or pornography, and it has to do with a woman who is involved in prostitution, no doubt about it. So maybe she was both. Maybe Rahab had a hotel that was frequented by many travelers. We don't know nothing about her background. In that day, there were some women who were honored to be prostitutes in the temple worship. It was a thing of recognition and status. Or maybe she was one of those women who grew up in a situation like many in India who are forced into this trade and it's the only thing they know and it's the only way that they can survive, they think, and keep their family going. It's not something they would choose, but it's something, it appears, that has chosen them. The situation, whatever it is, is sad. Now in this story, we're going to talk about a scarlet cord Tradition tells us that the scarlet cord was often the mark of a prostitute. After all, Isaiah chapter 1 tells us the color of sin is red. And seems to point back to that famous American fiction book, 1850, Nathaniel Hawthorne, The Scarlet Letter, of a woman who was caught doing something she couldn't do and the birth of a baby was proof of it and was shamed by wearing a scarlet A on her clothes for the rest of her life. So this woman was in a difficult situation by way of her profession. She was also in a precarious situation because of the place she lived. She was in danger because she was a resident of Jericho. Now Jericho is a walled city, perhaps the oldest city known to man, and the archeologists have not disproven that. It was a territory of about eight or nine acres, secured, a Canaanite city, thought to be impregnable, never to be defeated by anyone else. And the fact that it had had existed for hundreds of years was proof of that. But now they were in danger because as they're situated on the west side of Jericho, the river uh, of, not Jericho, but Jordan, on the east side of the Jordan is a menacing mass of people called the Israelites. 
and their history has followed them. For 40 years ago, their God conquered the gods of the Egyptians and opened up the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. And during that time, they conquered nations that fought against them. Arad and the Amorites, the Sihon king and Og were defeated. And the reputation about the Israelites had gotten to Jericho and they were in grave danger. So here is this woman living in this city, panic-stricken with the rest of the people around her. And if you were to go to Joshua chapter two, verse one, you would read these words. Joshua, the son of Nun, who had taken the leadership of the armies of Israel over from Moses, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, which is a city on the east side of the Jordan River, maybe about 14 miles from Jericho. He said, go look over the land, especially examine Jericho. And so the two spies went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and they stayed there. They needed military intel. Reconnaissance was necessary. But they couldn't go into the city looking like Hebrews. They had to disguise themselves as best they could as Canaanites. But they were visitors, and so they went to the place where they perhaps would not be noticed because this place was frequented by many travelers. They probably entered from the west side so as not to in any way cause their identity be, to be known, but it didn't work. Someone had noticed them coming into the city. They followed them to Rahab's house. And then they told the king. Their identity was quickly discovered. Joshua chapter two, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out the land. And now Rahab had to make a decision. Let me pause for a moment and just say, as we listen to a story like this, you and I are often conditioned to say, what a horrible situation she is in. What a horrible profession and certainly imminent danger. But that's not me. No, I want you to know that this story is all about you and it's all about me. Well, I'm not a prostitute. Well, maybe not, but you're sold into sin. All of us are. For the wages of sin is, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. There is hanging over our head this idea of condemnation and Rahab knew she was a sinner. However, many people in our world do not. And they've sanitized their situation so as to speak to the world, I'm good, upright, and moral as far as other people go. But you have to understand that the standard is not other people. The standard is a holy God, and we've all come short of his glory. It's a sad truth, but it is true truth. We're all sinners, and we're all in grave danger. But then we go from this situation that she was in to her confession. 
And this is a confession of faith that begins with her deeds. For the verse in Hebrews says, by faith, Rahab welcomed the spies. I don't know when she knew who they were, but she brought them in. Genuine faith displays itself in clear acts of faith. Maybe she was disappointed with the Canaanite gods and the culture she lived in. After all, she was treated like chattel and physically abused. Maybe she saw that her gods had let her down and she was deeply in despair and disappointment. She had seen life at its worst. And now she heard about these people and the powerful God they served. I think she also feared the justice of God. Don't you fear that? You, the sinner, me, the sinner, don't you fear a holy and just God who says it's appointed and a man wants to die and after this, the judgment. God created us to love us and to have fellowship with us. We rebelled, and because of our rebellion, we've been placed under his justice, under his judgment, under his wrath. And we should be fearful of the living God who is a consuming fire. She was afraid of the justice of God. She said to the spies, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen upon our people so that everyone living in this country, they're melting in fear. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. What you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. We've heard all of this. And so she, what, what did she do? Her faith was proclaimed in her deeds. She welcomed them and she hid them. The king said, bring them out. And she risked her life by saying, no, I'm going to hide these representatives of this great God. Took them upstairs, put them under the flax. Her first deed of faith was to welcome them. Her second deed was to hide them Her third deed of faith was to lie about them. (laughs) Yeah, the king's representatives came to her hostel and she said, yeah, there were some men who came to me, but I don't know who they were. Lie. And um, they left and I don't know where they went. Lie two, lie three. You say, well, we're not supposed to lie. How come God is honoring her lies? He's not. He's honoring her faith. But remember who she is. She's grown up in a pagan world. And she's just coming to this understanding of the great God who is. And we've got to be patient with young believers. God doesn't say it's okay to lie. But also, you have to remember this is wartime. Think of Rahab as a freedom fighter. 
And there is no army that ever goes to the enemy and says, well, let me tell you my plan. Tomorrow at this time, we're going to do this. No, they always feign an approach. They always pretend they're going to do this, and they want to misdirect and deceive because it's wartime. I think we need to be patient with new believers. I'll never forget a new believer who came to Christ, and he was giving his testimony at a church and he swore three times. <laughs> That's what many of the people said. Don't misunderstand me when I say, I think it's great. Not what he said, but the fact that you have young believers coming to Christ. I love that. John Newton the great believer who wrote the song Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, after he was converted, continued over a year in the African slave trade. That was not right. But that's all he knew. I'm not justifying him. I'm just saying that's where he was. And he came out later and stood with William Wilberforce against all the dignitaries in England to make sure that there was a law put out that no longer would the slave trade exist. He owned his sin, but he could hardly see it at an early time. So she, she lied about the spies, and all of that is because her heart now was given over to God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and she now fears God. As Kent Hughes said, God saw her heart behind the actions. And so now, she was bowing before the great God. She made an appeal to God's representatives. By the way, these men were different than the other people who would board in her hotel. They were after something different, and she must have heard from travelers what this great God of Israel had done, but now she could hear from his representatives what he intended to do and who he was. And she now was ready for faith. So her confession of deeds is now a confession of words. And she says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. We have seen what he has done. And get this, this is verse 11 of Joshua chapter two. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. What a great profession of faith. She went from her profession, occupation, to her profession, faith, and trusted her all and risked her life to believe in the God of Israel. And so they made a decision. The spies said, your life for ours. You want us to show you kindness, you show us, us kindness. Get us out safely and we'll make sure that you are not harmed when the city falls. And here is the sign. I want you to take that scarlet robe that once identified you for your occupation and hang it out the window. That would not have been a surprise, perhaps, to anyone. Almost a sign that would have shown what that house was for before. But now, 
it's a different type of sign. By the way, I don't think Rahab understood this, but it's very possible that the, the spies understood this. They were thinking back 40 years to the Passover. When they came out of Egypt, they were to slay a young lamb and put the blood on the doorpost on the lintel posts of the door, and that night when the death angel came by, he would see the blood and pass over them. Remember that story? And everyone who's in the house will be safe. And now it's the scarlet robe, or, or the, the scarlet rope, that is hanging outside the window. And put your family inside, and everyone in that room will be safe. And I say to you, my friend, destruction is coming to this world and everyone who rejects God, but all who are hidden in Christ. You say, where do you get that? Well, the Passover and the blood of the lamb was looking ahead to Jesus. And I think the scarlet rope does the same. By the way, the word for rope in Hebrew is the same as hope. And that cord was a message of hope. They said, put it out. She did what they said because now she was acting on the word of God and the word from his representatives and casting her life and her future upon it all. So notice the conclusion of her confession. She was rescued. When the collapse of the wall in Jericho was complete, there was one section that was still standing. It had a window and a scarlet rope coming out. All of her family was saved. They were all kept safe by the mercy and grace of Almighty God. She was rescued physically from imminent death. And she was rescued spiritually by her faith in the God of the Hebrews. She was not only rescued, she was rewarded. In Joshua chapter 6, we're told that Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the spies. And she lives among the Israelites to this very day. Whenever that was written, the Acts of Joshua, written by him or someone else, whenever that was written, Rahab was still living in the community of faith. Think of this, a woman who was an outcast now is welcomed in. That word welcome is a beautiful word, isn't it? It's a, an especially beautiful word to those who have felt nothing but rejection all of their life. Never able to meet the standards that others place upon you. Never able to rise to the expectations of the world. You're not good at this, you're not good at that, so you think always rejected. And I'm a sinner, and how can I be accepted before God? I expect nothing but more rejection when I stand in that day of judgment. Unless you put your faith in God's Son who died to take your sin away and make you perfectly righteous. 
I want you to know this, that if Jesus fails me in the day of judgment, I'm a goner because I have nothing else. But he will not fail me because God's already approved of his son and accepted his sacrifice. And Jesus has welcomed me in, sinner I am, to be part of his family, cleansed by his blood and accepted by his grace. And I am rewarded with a family, the family of faith. I'm so glad to be part of the family of God. And that's by grace. She could say with Ruth, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And not only that, she marries into a family. She finds a husband. There was a man by the name of Nashon who was a prince in Israel. We're told that in Numbers chapter 7. And he has a son named Salmon. And Salmon is also a prince and he marries Rahab. That must have been some interesting family discussions during that engagement. Son, you're a prince. You've got to marry someone respectable. I know this woman is a, a nice woman, but she's got a past. This will never work. And some people can never look at others without seeing their past and focusing on their sin, without seeing the grace and mercy of God. Churches are great at doing this. Instead of welcoming people like Jesus welcomes us. The Hebrew Post one day read as its headline, Judean prince marries Amorite prostitute. And everyone wanted to read that article. And it was simply a story about the grace of God. The story of Rahab unveils to us the character of God almost like nothing else. He's a God who loves the lost and has come to save. And there is no sinner too great for his mercy and grace. But that's not where it ends. She's rewarded with a family. She's rewarded with her own husband and family. And she's given an amazing honor because the child that she and her husband has is Boaz, and Boaz marries Ruth, and they have a child named Obed, and he has a child named Jesse, and he has a child named David. And from David's line is the Messiah. And when you read Matthew's gospel, the very first chapter, he wants to get it right so you know that Jesus is coming from the Davidic line and he's coming from the tribe of Judah and Rahab is mentioned in the line. We often don't do that. When we go through our family histories, we just want to mention the great people. We don't want to mention the people of ill repute. And it's interesting, when Jesus came to preach the gospel, it was the religious people who gave him the hard time. And it was the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners who heard them gladly, heard him gladly, because he said, if you don't think you need a physician, I haven't come for you. And I say that to you today, if you don't think you're a sinner who needs saving, I've got nothing for you. 
If you're just, you, you're just a respectable sinner and you're fine with that. If you don't think you need a savior, if you don't see the wrath of God hanging over your head, I have nothing for you. But if you sense the weight of your sin, I have Jesus for you. And he says, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to me, all of you who know you're sinners, and I will save you to the uttermost. One Bible expositor believed that Salmon was one of the two spies. I don't know where he gets that, but it makes for a great story. But a greater story is this. You can never tell, tell where faith will be found. Others in the city of Jericho rejected the message. Rahab embraced the God of the Hebrews. And God loves to take broken things and make them whole again. One of my favorite stories about John Newton is near the end of his life. Someone came up to him and said, John looking back at your life, so checkered and amazing, incredible life. And he became, John Newton became one of the greatest Bible teachers and preachers that the English world ever knew. Someone said, John, what do you know? And he says, this is what I know. I am a great sinner, but Jesus is a great savior. That's what I want you to know today. Let's pray. Oh, Father, while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, there are people here who don't know you. They don't see their sin. Or if they see it, they excuse it. Or if they see it, they don't think it's that bad, and they don't see you. They don't see Jesus hanging on the cross. They don't see you sending your son to die in their place. They don't see your love and your mercy and your grace. And nothing I can say can change their heart. But you, oh God, can. And I pray that you will do that this very moment. Make sinners uncomfortable in their sin. May they see judgment to come. But most of all, may they see a Savior whose arms are welcoming and open to everyone who comes by faith. At this very moment, I want to call upon you who don't know Christ. Has God been speaking to your heart? Cry out to him right where you sit. Say, Lord, save me. If you saved her, you can save me. Cleanse my sin, for it is great. And give me life. And I know, Lord, that anyone who cries out in faith will be welcomed into your family. For the one who comes to you, you will never turn aside. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. May many call at this moment today. In Jesus' name, amen.